Welcome, I'm Shelley Weir, President and CEO of the FICPA. We are here again today in our capital city with our Director of Governmental Affairs, Justin Thames, and our FICPA lobbyist, Jennifer Green of Liberty Partners of Tallahassee. Justin and Jennifer have been in the trenches the last 60 plus days, dealing with a variety of issues impacting the CPA profession and our members. As session comes to a close, we want to bring you the highlights of the issues we've been engaged in on your behalf. Thank you for being here today, Justin and Jennifer, and for all of your hard work this session. Normally, we'd be discussing the progress of legislation that we've been proactively advocating for, but this year has been about being on the defense for the profession. Before we get into the specific bills we've been engaged on, let's talk first a little bit about where we are in the legislative process and what's going on in the Capitol right now. So Jennifer, Justin, tell us what's happening today on the scheduled last day of session and what we can expect in this last home run stretch here. Well, Shelley, I could tell you what's not happening today. The lawmakers are not going to go home and there will not be a signing die like there normally is. Uh, we thought we were going to go on vacation tomorrow, but <laughs> yeah. it looks like we're going to be back here on Monday morning to finalize uh, the state's budget. And, uh, and there's a couple other things that are working through the uh, budget process right now. Uh, Jennifer, this is, uh, we were talking before we got started today, this is kind of unique, uh, although it's becoming more uh, prevalent over the last couple of years, where the session has not ended on time. Right. Yeah. Over over time has been interesting. Like the last, I think it's been the last six sessions. Five of the last six sessions have been an extension. So, legislature again. The only thing they have to do is pass a budget. That's it. And it's the last thing they do typically. Well, if they can't get it done within 72 hours of the time frame of when the session is supposed to end, then it moves each day. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we now are moved to I think it's 11:59. A p.m. I should say on Monday, uh, we're hearing that they're going to go home by noon on Monday, but they're going to debate a bit today with some budget bills. Uh, they've got a few messages going back and forth, so today is getting the last-minute stuff done. But really, all the deals are cut. Mm -hmm. Yeah, essentially, today we're seeing already as we speak, they're going to be presenting the budget. They're going to start to debate the budget on both sides, just to tie, like Jennifer said, to tee everything up. And for purposes of what we're watching. We're watching kind of to see to make sure things that we cared about in the budget and also some of the conforming bills, the tax package is still out there. We're seeing some of that policy come in for a landing, so uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about. But Jennifer, you mentioned a minute ago about the budget is the one thing that they're required to do. Not so this year, uh, sure. which we got one thing. One thing we had one thing extra that we had to work on. The legislature had to work on this year and. Had, Tell us a little bit about redistricting, how that went this year with the process, and uh, it wasn't without fireworks, right? No, and fireworks by tweet. We have a governor who's not quiet about his position on issues, and I think the tweet was something along the lines of when they were debating the congressional maps, was something along the lines of, I will veto it and I'm not kidding. And so um, that's really the first time that I can remember in, in history that we've had a governor weigh in, particularly on issues that are, are largely set for the legislature to do, and that's redrawing those maps. Or really, you don't see a governor opining much, and he was very specific on particularly congressional maps. Mm -hmm. So um, I think 10 years ago, they had some issues, and there were maps that had to come back and be re redrawn. And of course, Florida has a much tighter process now because of amendment 
uh, the two amendments that passed, the fair districts amendments that passed, that basically say you can't gerrymander in a in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. And so it's pretty it's pretty tough seeing seeing what they come up with as it as it relates to district lines, uh, both in the House and Senate, and then the congressional uh, districts as well. And I can only imagine the domino effect that these decisions will have, not only this year, but in the 10 years in front of us um, on a number of different issues. And I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, we are in spring break season right now. So I imagine many of these legislators are, they will get out of here on Monday if they have anything to say about it so that they can get home to their families and their workplaces. And we do have, as you all know, uh, three CPAs that work in the legislature and they are deep in the tax season, just like you all are. So a lot of motivation to get things wrapped up on Monday, hopefully. And you know, it's funny that you used to say that because of the spring break, we thought they would maybe not come back on Monday, but work through the weekend. Mm -hmm. So uh, it just goes to show like, you know, what motivates you, but they, they still got to let the budget sit for a little while. So. 72 hours. Well, and I think also there was, there's, there's an issue of tempers being very high. The stress level is incredibly high right now. Yeah. And so I think you had presiding officers that said, okay, let's try to wrap up today by noonish, let them go home for the weekend and then make their way back and be able to be done uh, on Monday. But you have, I mean, hours and hours of testimony on the budget, the debate, the arguments, the, you know, everybody wants that clip to be able to use in a campaign ad. I sure. mean, we know the outcome. It's going to pass, and it's going to pass by you know a, a large majority. But everybody wants to say what they need to say because it is a campaign year. Indeed, and, it is. Yep. But I would say, in addition to the budget, we've seen major issues already get done. The legislature has, like you said, checked off a lot of the boxes that they set out. The Senate President's been working on his water policy bill. The the um, uh, House and the Senate have both passed some education reform. We've seen some really hot topic social issues that have already been passed and sent to the governor. So for all intents and purposes, the, I mean, the presiding officers, uh, President Simpson and um, uh, Speaker Sprouse, have really checked a lot of their own boxes of their priorities for the year. So there's not really a lot. That they no, the, the surprises yeah. that are left of what could potentially happen. Mm -hmm. You know, is there anything else that, that and that would be today? It wouldn't be on Monday. There won't be surprises. But I think data privacy is a is a is a big one. That was a huge priority for the speaker. Um, he was pretty pretty focused on what he wanted to do with it. And I think we saw again. I mentioned about sort of legislating by tweet, by social media, if you will. Uh, there was a gaggle, press gaggle, with the Senate president at one point, and he basically said. Not doing it. Mm. So it it you, you get those, those those discussions happened obviously behind the scenes, but that's the public letting everyone know this is kind of where we are. And again, that's that's about the trades that they're mm. dealing with. What is it that you need to trade something for? So mm -hmm. um, that was a big deal. No doubt. Well, let's get into a little bit of some of our CPA-specific content. We have some amazing members serving on committees that have been very busy assisting you and the team uh, this session for, for our lobbying team here. Let's first start with our state tax committee led by Ken Rios from Kaufman-Rossin and the work that they've done this session on the Department of Revenue Tax Administration legislation. Our CPA lawmakers, Senator Joe Gruters and Representative Cindy Stevenson, were the sponsors of the legislation. So Justin, Jennifer, give us some of the key highlights, where are we at right now, and where we currently are in the process. I think that probably the most important observation that I have is the relationship between the FICPA and the DOR is the strongest I think I've ever seen. 
And I think that, that that's largely due to the continued discussions with them, the DOR liaison meeting, and candidly, there's other groups who probably didn't have that close of a relationship uh, that, that were concerned about the bill and some of the provisions, but you all had the advantage of having seen the language early. Um, you had you know, Lisa Vicar Vickers from DOR and the executive director, um, Dr. Zingali, talking about here's the provisions, here's what they do, here's what they don't do, and explaining that up front and really saying this is not the department going, you know, we want, we want a power grab. It's we want to take care of the bad guys. And so I think what was helpful is your members were able to look at some of their clients to say, oh, well, my clients, they keep their records that, you know, that's required by statute. They provide it when they're audited. And so those were some things that I think were really big principles for your members and particularly your tax committee. Yeah, and I would say to echo some of that is, you know, our state tax committee members were, were heavily involved in this issue early on, starting around November and December. And, and for a level set for our members, the tax administration bill that was proposed, the main goal really deals with the, uh, providing records uh, to the Department of Revenue. And so what we've you know, what we've been told by the department and uh, within the agency, they, they've seen an issue where you have taxpayers, it's, it's really taxpayer non-compliance. Mm -hmm. And what the department was really trying to do is try to curb taxpayer behavior. And some of the ways that they were doing that um, were, were to increase their authority to, to require subpoenas of records. Uh, but there's a lot of good things in the bill that are gonna be helpful to taxpayers too in compliance, right? They open up that window early on in the audit process where normally the department wouldn't be able to communicate with the taxpayer. It's kind of like for for years it's been, well, once, once that, that process starts, the department can't help the taxpayer. Now with these changes, they're gonna have better communication with taxpayers. There's gonna be a process in place. The taxpayer is gonna know that, you know, they have to follow it otherwise uh, especially when it pertains to those records the department needs. Otherwise, they're, they're not going to have a lot more bites at the apple during the audit process. And then specifically, once you get the civil litigation side of it and then the, the civil court side of it, their ability to bring up records that they could have had or should have had is really going to be limited. And, and that's kind of what the department was, was trying to work on. And for purposes of the tax committee, our <coughs> members have really been focused on compliance. And so while we, while we as the FICPA didn't come out and support of the bill, uh, Shelly, as you know, what we try to do is work with the Department of Revenue, and I think successfully, yeah, right? We absolutely. work with the department because of that relationship to provide those uh, kind of um, uh, levers and, and stop gaps so that the, the good taxpayers didn't, didn't get penalized because they couldn't comply for mm -hmm. some reason or another. So Justin, Jennifer, where does this bill stand today on the scheduled last day of session? Well, it's actually on its way to the governor. It was passed what, earlier in the week yep. and debated on the floor. There were some last minute changes uh, that were made, but uh, I, I think it has a really good chance being signed by the governor. There are still some business groups that are raising opposition because uh, there's you know some perceived negative impact to some of the businesses that may or may not be in compliance with the law. but. 
I don't think we're going to see the governor do anything but sign it, right? No, I agree. I agree. And of course, right now when we're in session, the governor has seven days. With If a, he receives a bill during session, seven days to act on it. Otherwise, it's 15 days. And all indications are that, yeah, absolutely would sign it. It. Um, I think there's a lot of work done by the department ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And again, some of the information that's out there from some groups that are not supporting or concerned about it really is coming from the folks who have that competitive advantage because they're the bad guys. They're not complying, they're not, and so it's it's unfortunate, but it will level the playing field for those taxpayers that are doing the right thing and they're keeping the records or they're providing the records when the audit is happening and not waiting until litigation. So hopefully overall, and I do think the department's gonna be open. I know there was a provision, Justin, that had come up about having some type of work group and the House just did not want that in statute. But the department has said, we are going to have meetings. We're going to have a series of meetings. We're going to get feedback as we implement it because they do have rulemaking. But even before the rulemaking to get some, you know, get some feedback, that's a really open department. That's something that, you know, we've seen in a few years, but the most open I've seen in a couple decades mm -hmm. of saying we want, we're not here to, you know, we're not here to penalize. We want to make sure taxpayers comply. And if there's a reason or there's a provision in law that taxpayers aren't complying, let's find out why and maybe it's the process. So I, I really, big kudos to the department on that. Well, and for me, I think it underscores, again, the importance of our voice and our committees. So without our, our state tax committee and, and being able to be at the table that have been nominated by their peers, representing uh, that particular practice area of our membership as experts, in their space, sitting down with the department proactively to give feedback from the early stages of it, and really making sure that the CPAs um, both had a voice but were protected throughout and the process. Session. And during session. They, they did, I mean, again, you're, you're, that's a group of your members that are in the middle of tax season, and I know, Justin, we had several phone calls and Zooms and mm -hmm. emails going back and forth, and it was like, you got to re review this language. Is there anything else? Is there anything else? And, you know, those are timelines that aren't ours. Correct. Uh, they're imposed on us, yeah. so it's it's very quick response. They did a great job. Shelly, I would just say that you, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to the relationship with the department and why that we had so many opportunities to work with them to address any concerns we had. It's that 30-plus year relationship that our members, you know, I, I will say that it's mainly because our members have pushed to have that relationship with the Department of Revenue. Uh, we were able to be really accepted. And, and one thing I would say, too, uh, this is this bill was a prime example of why having CPA serving in the legislature is so important. Absolutely, Senator Gruders and Representative Stevenson, or you know, because they're CPAs, they really understood the audit process. They really understood tax compliance issues, mm -hmm. um, which you know, for a lot of folks that serve in the legislature, it could get real complicated in a hurry. So uh, they they did a, a fantastic job, really pushing this issue forward. And, um, and I think, it, again, it all, all boils down to the relationships we build in the legislative process. And it probably also brought up two really good points, and that is, you know, Justin mentions about the CPAs in the legislature. Both Representative Stevenson, who was the bill sponsor, and Senator, or Representative, excuse me, Caruso, Mike Caruso, uh, spoke on the floor. And when you're debating on the floor, it's on the fly. It is not, they can't stop. It's not like it's a committee and you can... You know, you can temporarily postpone a bill, but things are moving very quickly. And they both really did uh, a great job. I, I think Senator Gruder's had a lot less questions, and he sort of, you know, it's different in the Senate to be able to dismiss things. Sure. 
But the second thing it showed is why it's so important for taxpayers to use a CPA. I mean, it really was one of those scenarios where it's like, your CPA is gonna give you the right advice. And it may be that I think your members are gonna see a lot of folks you know, reaching out, uh, again, people who don't have a tax practitioner helping them whatsoever or a professional. So I think, again, that's very helpful. We don't typically see agencies moving forward with legislation that would actually cause someone to hire a consultant or someone on the outside, this is a different scenario. You're talking about a trusted advisor to make sure you do the right thing. Okay. As we just said, our members serving on committees are so important to our advocacy efforts as experts in their field of practice. And this was especially true this session for our CIRA committee members. As the legislature debated legislation dealing with the collapse of the Champlain Towers in Surfside. Many of our members may not realize that our CIRA committee members are considered national experts when it comes to accounting issues for condo and homeowners associations. They really pave the way on these specific issues impacting community associations. And given that there were a number of competing interests involved in this very sensitive issue this year, um, let's talk a little bit about the specifics of what we worked through with the committees relative to the profession and the overall process the legislature went through to try to address the future concerns for these types of associations. Justin and Jennifer, perhaps um, no more important issue this year given what happened several months ago in our great state here in Florida than addressing these, these homeowner association um, concerns and the response to Surfside. Talk us through a little bit about um, the things that we were watching for on behalf of the CPA profession, where things sit right now, um, and things that we might be monitoring moving forward. Yes, yeah, so like you said, several months ago after the tragedy at Surfside, you had lawyers, you had engineers, you had everybody was really trying to figure out like the what the cause, the root cause, and how, how do we prevent something like that ha from happening again. So there were task force from the Florida Bar, there were task force from community association management groups, and then our members, uh, some to a certain extent, all in the middle because um, that's usually what happens the CPA profession gets stuck in the middle of all these other competing interests. And so our committee members over the summer and over the fall had really looked, uh, tried to look hard at the issues that were coming out. And, and our goal really was to make sure that whatever came out of the legislature, our members either weren't negatively impacted or could implement the law from a report. Because that's what we thought we would see is we would see some type of element where the CPA professional would be asked to either be a independent third party and some type of verification process sure. or, or, and Jennifer, that happens all the time. Absolutely. I, it's great because everyone thinks that CPAs are, you know, something happens, let's have a CPA look at it. Sure. CPA sign off. And of course it takes a while to educate to say, mm, it's not what a CPA does. But in this situation, I think it brought together a lot of issues that we had been dealing with with CIRA over the years. And some of them that we actually could go back and when I was in-house at the FICPA say, well, remember when you said about waiving reserves for condo associations? Remember we talked about if you're not going to fund reserves or what's going to happen. And it was mostly from, a, a again, a financial standpoint to say, if you don't, just make sure that you inform the property owner, whether it's an HOA or a condo association. In this scenario, it, it sounds basically from you know reports in the media that it was related to you know, it was financial. It was a it was a board that was saying like many boards do. Well, this might have let's kick the can down the road a little bit. And I think you're going to see also issues come up with engineering. Um, there was a bill also deal, dealing with pre-construction defects. 
And so, you know, there were even discussions about whether or not places like that should be built that close to the water. Right. So a lot of things, a lot of building related issues that came up. So the good news was your Sears section was able to be, you know, to, to be able to stay in the middle of it, but from a standpoint of saying, okay, this is what will happen. This is how it, you know, you comply with it. This is how you deal with it from a financial standpoint. But being dragged in the middle still happened even up until yesterday. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, yeah, an uh, interesting issue that came up. I was gonna say, Jennifer, uh, our our goal throughout the session, for especially for our SEER committee members, was to try to keep us from getting pulled into one uh, agenda or another, but stay somewhat neutral from the standpoint of like, you know, uh, there was a group that wanted you to have no ability to waive reserves. There was a group that wanted you to have no ability to pull your reserve account funds. And, and so we really tried to kind of stay somewhere in the middle lane and say, well, you can do this, but make sure you do it a certain way. So early on in session, we saw a lot of different iterations of this bill. The early, early on, you had, uh, to Jennifer's point, the construction piece of it, uh, which was uh, uh, proposed by Senator Bradley, and that, that really dealt with uh, you were going to have to have several types of uh, construction inspe inspections, engineering inspections at continued. the local, continued, yep. continued. Uh, on a regular basis at the local level. And then over uh, in the Commerce Committee, especially on the Senate side, we saw the legislation come out from uh, Senator Hudson that was all the, all the other financial reporting side of it, the reserves and the reserve studies. Um, so throughout the process, our members were looking at each bill. I mean, I'm working with several of our folks late into the night to make sure there was an impact. For instance, early on there was a piece in the bill that would have required new disclosures in the financial reporting uh, for these associations that, that potentially would have put uh, more onus on the CPA or, or put some more liability on the CPA, basically saying, whether or not a, an association had the appropriate amount of reserve funding or not. And so we were able to get that language out of the bill early on, alleviated those concerns, and then we got into some more of the nitty gritty issues like, you know, whether or not an association should be mandated to have straight line reserve, you know, straight line funding or have pooled, pooled funding method. And those are, those are some of the things that we were able to work through now. Even, even yesterday, even yesterday, we had a senator come off the Senate floor saying, hey, I've got a problem, uh, I have a family member who does this work and wasn't a CPA, we, we identified that quickly, but this is gonna happen and this has to change. And the bill sponsor, because we had spent so much time talking with her and her staff and saying, they like your version, FICPA is very happy, she immediately said, oh, go find them. Go mm -hmm. talk to them and see what they say. And the answer, you know, luckily you were able to very quickly get your Sierra folks together and have a couple conversations and they said, nope, here's the tax form, here's what it looks like, and we don't think there needs to be any changes in the bill. That wasn't a, we embrace, we don't embrace. It was truly, that that was acting as a tax consultant. And I think the role there was, was helpful. And the political side of it was, you had a group on the other side that was very quickly trying to drag us into it to kill the bill. Sure. And the answer was, not our fight, right. not our fight. Exactly. Well, and again, a common theme, it underscores the importance of our committees as experts in their field. And I always like to say, we serve at the pleasure of our members, but we are only successful in serving at the pleasure of our members if we have active engagement from the members as well, because we are not licensed CPAs on staff and we need their expertise to be able to help drive forward what's gonna make the most sense for the profession. So 
we can use our, our lobbying skills and, and get all the right people in the room, but ultimately they've got to give us some direction on what makes the most sense. And no more active than CIRA. Well, CIRA. I, I was going to say, no more active than CIRA, and, and again, they are experts in that field, even nationally. And Shelly, you and I talk about this all the time, it's like advocacy is only successful when it's a team effort, right? Yes. And our, yes. our volunteer members and our members on our committee are part of that team. Uh, really, all of our members are part of that team because I can't tell you the number of times, especially if we know somebody that lives in a member, a, a, a representative's district or a senator's district, that we're, we're having to pull everybody in that, mm -hmm. at our resources to push the advocacy efforts of the FICPA. So this, this is really a prime example. We made some significant impact this year in the condo bills that were out there that uh, on behalf of the profession, and mm -hmm. it was... It was primarily due to the hard work of those committee members uh, day in and day out to, to make sure that these we're getting it right, right? Because we're not just trying to you know carve and cut these bills up. We're trying to make them better or make them work mm -hmm. as the as intended by the lawmakers. Absolutely, and it all fits within your policies, your state legis legislative yes. policies, which I think is incredibly important. That's that. Those are the guardrails. And so many times during the session when it's like, well, what do you guys think about this? What do you think about that? We're able to go back through all the work that has, has gone into making sure those policy statements, what they are, and does it fit into it? And it gives you the ability to jump in when you need to, but yes. Shelly, you the ability to say, that's, you know, our members have spoken, they spent a lot of time on this, this is our position and we don't have a position outside of it or again not our not our not our lane right which a lot of our members may not understand that process and, and basically what that looks like is we have um, a committee that helps to craft what those policies are what our guardrails are each legislative session and we make sure that we stay within those but that is again members telling us what is their priorities members telling us what would be deal breakers for them and us as staff going to execute um, what what they've given us a guardrail around to do, and, and it's a team effort, to your point, Justin. So we certainly would not be as successful as we are in Tallahassee without the support of our members, and um, look forward to continuing to advocate on their behalf. So this is a teaser for this bill, because uh, as it stands right now, we don't know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. This is one of those issues that on the last day of session, which normally these condo HOA bills, it's a pretty common occurrence. We see these uh, hang on until the very end, or die, we, or die altogether. Meaning that they don't, they don't pass. Um, we don't know what the outcome is going to be just yet because the the House of Representatives ended up in one position, primarily focused on these uh, um, uh, inspections and construction inspections, and, the, and and in their bill they would have made it uh, uh, prohibited. It, the reserves from being waived by associations, reserve funding from being waived by uh, associations. And then on the Senate side, not as many of inspection reports. There's a, a, a longer timeline of when they would have to have them done. And and they would have allowed for the waiver of reserves and, and would have allowed for pooling method, uh, funding methodology. So we don't know where they're gonna land. The Senate did create a last minute effort to uh, Kind of meet somewhere in the middle with the house but i don't know that they're gonna i don't know the house will take that uh language or not we'll find out by monday yep uh, well probably by the end of the, today today maybe. i mean yeah. I, they may not even take up anything but budget bills you know on monday but yeah it was it was pretty close and we actually the senate sponsor 
her daughter works for a big four firm. Oh, and so, and is, is either just got licensed or is about to be licensed. But we were able to, again, build that relationship really early on to talk through, hey, these are issue experts. Joe Girders is, you know, is your person in the Senate chamber when you need it, but if there's something else that comes up, there's, there's thousands of bills that are coming at these people and they're very, very technical. Yes. And so we try to work way ahead of time. And on, on this issue especially, you know, we sat down with the Senate staff who uh, in this committee area has been there a long time. We've worked with them on these issues. And we actually, the four of us sat there and chuckled a little bit about here we are again, about, you know, trying to sort through what problems and even looking in chapter 718 related to condos looking at some of the language over the years like there's all caps about if you're going to waive reserves or you're not going to fund reserves we said years ago the zero section said or zero section at the time said you need to disclose this to the property owners don't let them be blind you know make sure that they know you're not which means you're probably not going to raise assessments but god forbid something happened there could be a special assessment everyone's investment needs to be protected so again working early i think is helpful and even in the last minute being pulled in and being able to respond is also great for FICPA's reputation. Absolutely, and you raise a really good point there talking about the bill sponsor's daughter. Justin and I always say, you know, oftentimes when you're a CPA and we're asking you to come to the Capitol and lobby on behalf of the profession, it can be really intimidating because you think to yourself, gosh, I'm not a lobbyist, I'm not Justin, I'm not Jennifer, I'm not quite sure what to do here. But what I think all of our practitioners have to remember is that they are the experts and their particular space. And when you get into a conversation with the legislature that has a very highly technical component to a bill, they're looking to you to give them guidance as the expert in that space. And so oftentimes they think it's the other way around, but but often it really is. I, I need you guys to tell me what makes sense here and, and what doesn't. And so the role that our CPAs play in being able to come to the Capitol and help assist with those conversations is critically important as well. There were a couple of bills this year that did have impacts on the Board of Accountancy, one of which would have impacted the Board of Accountancy's ability to review a candidate for licensure's criminal history, and the other would affect our member firms that are doing work for the state. Both were prime examples of how important it is for us to educate lawmakers of the unintended consequences of the public policies they put forth. So Justin, Jennifer, how did those issues come about this year, and what did it take to influence positive outcome for both of these issues. Well, Shelley, on the Board of Accountancy issue, this is something that we've seen across the country. This is not a Florida-specific issue. It's uh, more of a cr criminal justice reform issue. Uh, this year, there was a bill that would have limited the Board of Accountancy's ability to uh, look at it, the criminal history of a license uh, a candidate for licensure. And really, for the profession, you have two different uh, periods in which the uh, Board of Accountancy is going to look at criminal history, right, Jennifer? Two bites of the apple, yep. Two bites of the apple. And one is whenever a, a candidate for to sit for the exam, mm -hmm. they're going to look at those candidates and see, look at their criminal history, and then whenever they're going to come before the board for licensure. So this bill, essentially what it would have said is you can't go back and look at someone's criminal history more than five years. And then and then at that point it creates a whole list of criteria that a, the board would have to consider if they want to take that criminal history in, in, into account to deny someone a licensure. Which, while all well intended, uh, this bill in particular was more of a... Um, a solution in search of a problem because 
what we did is we talked to the, the bill sponsor and basically you know let them know say hey listen you have a board of accountancy that's very judicious in there the way they approach these cases they hear these candidates out and and they're not you know overly aggressive on whether or not they give somebody a, a license based you know or deny somebody's license based on their criminal history that's been our experience and and I think the two parts to it you know previously it used to be the criminal background check only happened right before you were licensed. So there were scenarios years ago where you'd have somebody who has sat for the exam, passed all four parts, and then has a problem. Now, it, it typically has to be related to the practice of public accounting or something similar, but it also goes to judgment. And I think that that two-part process, this board isn't looking at you know, whether somebody had you know, a problem when they were 15 years old and were trespassing and you know, whatnot. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to things like that, all they're asking is these potential licensees that they disclose it. And what, what happens, and we tried to explain this to the sponsor, is sometimes you'll have you know, someone that says, well, I didn't think I had to disclose it because of X, Y, and Z. And it might have been a series of five DUIs in a row, or it might have been you know, fighting in college or something similar. And what that does, I think the board is trying to be judicious about how is this individual who's gonna have very private you know, financial information, how are they gonna make sure that the public is protected, whether it's you know, directly through a firm or if they're a CFO for a company or whatnot, but to make sure that they have that integrity. Um, most of the time, most of the time it's things that are just pretty silly. And this, this, this was more for construction, I think, and people who didn't have to be able to go back to work. Sure, and it was great because we, so we talked to, and it was Senator Burgess on the Senate side, Went and talked to the center and kind of walked him through the concerns. He's like, "Wow, you know what? I, I didn't even, I didn't realize that, that some of this language would kind of put a burden on the the CPA profession and cause any of these kind of concerns." He's like, "I'm going to go back and look at that and make sure that there's no unintended consequences." And ultimately, took all that language out of the bill again. As we said, it is more of a solution in search of a problem, and they kind of realized that, and they were like, "Well, there's nothing really to, to fix here. It's 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 all the process working the way it needs to work without being punitive to people that um, you know that that very well had a legitimate you know reason or recourse." Sure. So mm -hmm. that went worked worked out well for us, and and the board of accountancy was a big concern for the board of accountancy, um, and we were happy to kind of share with them that we had made that progress throughout the session. So Justin, let's talk a little bit about the second issue that would have impacted our firms in particular that do business with the state of Florida. Yeah, Shelley, that was a little bit of a tricky issue because what you have is you have state agencies that are requiring firms to provide audited financial statements whenever they're uh, meeting some of the requirements to demonstrate that they're financially stable enough to do work for the state. And Jennifer and I worked a lot on this bill this year because it's a really technical issue, especially when you're talking to the to lawmakers that aren't involved in that procurement right. process. Right, and Florida's got a pretty tight procurement process and years ago developed what was called state term contracts. And the best way to describe it is, it we'll say, a vetted vendor list. So for every area, agencies have the ability, if they need to purchase, pick the product or pick the item, they have a state term contract for those vendors and they can go and the vendor pricing is there, it's all very public. When it comes to large projects like consulting, management, IT, that type of thing that agencies put out. You have a list of 14 uh, vendors, uh, I think 11 of which are, are CPA firms, but that do management, IT consulting, you know, in addition to doing the normal accounting auditing work. What, what we heard was happening is a couple of those firms, as these procurements went out from agencies, 
they would put as a requirement in that RFP or RFQ or RFI, whatever it was, that, that one of the pieces was audited financial statements. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't work for, for a CPA firm. And to be able to explain why it didn't work without it being, you know, a we just want, we want to pass on that. It really is a huge issue about not just vendor financial viability. There are ways to demonstrate it. And the bill that initially came out talked about things like revenue and not net revenue. It talked about, you know, it had thresholds and dollar amounts. And we said, listen, we know where you're trying to go with it, but you've already got a process. You put these vendors on a list, first of all. Secondly, understand that the reason they can't do financial statements, audited financial statements, is X. And so we had large firms, we had small firms, and we largely went to the firms that were on that state term contract to say, hey, here's what's gonna happen. What the, what the resolution should be is that a firm can respond to a, a bid without being disqualified because they don't provide this piece. So what are the other things that the state, a state agency can look at? And as we, we, we dug into it, as we dug into it, it was these large projects, huge, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollar projects. We get it, but there are other ways for an entity to demonstrate financial viability of that vendor. And I would say, big, yeah, and I would say, big picture, like our overall arching goal was to say, hey, let's find a solution for this, so that no matter firm, no firm, any vendor that's doing business with state can meet this financial stability requirement um, with, without having, you know, to provide audited financial statements. And, and really, what it was is to create a, a uniform process, right? Because that's the other thing that we heard is like, well, some do it, some don't. And, and that's really what the bill sought to do is create a standard across all state agencies. We were able to get there and we were able to figure out a, a pathway forward so that there was accountability. There was also the, the ability for agencies to have, the, have flexibility in determining that financial stability criteria. And no one was excluded because of these new requirements. And that was our main goal. We didn't want there to be... Uh, somebody left behind in this process that sure. wouldn't be able to compete, right? It was, it was that was one of our other big focuses: make sure that uh, everybody was able to compete on the same uh, playing ground. And, and I think what's important about that is you want the state of Florida doing business with vendors that are the right vendors that can actually provide the work, but don't exclude because of this piece because right. there's ways to demonstrate that they're financially viable. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Absolutely. Great. And again, big reason why we work with our members because we pulled in some of our firm members, got feedback from them, and made sure that they were a, a big resource for that project that we worked on. Once again, members at the table helping to advocate and protecting the license. You got it. Last but not least, we talked earlier a little bit about where we are in the process and the fact that the legislature will be here on Monday to take a final vote on the budget. Some of our members might be aware, but most may not, that we work each session to ensure that there is funding in the budget for two important initiatives at the Board of Accountancy, the Unlicensed Activity Fund and the Clay Ford Scholarship Fund. Both are funded from a portion of the CPA license and are a top priority for us as we head into next session. Um, Justin, Jennifer, how are we looking this year? And just as a sidebar note, um, I want our members to really understand as we all have this great concern about talent pipeline and what can we do to get more CPAs in the profession that things like the Clay Ford Scholarship Fund are critically important to that effort. So tell us where we're at and a little bit about these two areas. Yes, yeah, so I, I'll, I'll start with the good news and I'll let Jennifer tell us a little bit about some of the history. So. Both of these provisions were included in both the governor's proposed budget early on in the legislative session and came out from both the House and the Senate 
and their proposed budgets. And I'm happy to report both of these funding authority uh, is included in the budget as it stands right now. Something I think very dramatic would have to happen for, mm -hmm. for yeah, that to absolutely. change. Uh, so again, we've got $100,000 uh, spending authority for the, the uh, unlicensed activity fund and the $200,000 uh, for the Clayford scholarship uh, funding. So Jennifer, we've worked on the Clayford bill or Clay Ford Scholarship Program for a couple of years, right when I first started, and increased that to two hundred thousand dollars. The the program is administered by the board, and and you remember a lot of the back and forth of when it was started. Sure. Can tell us like for those of our members that may not know a lot about that history, give us a, like a quick snapshot of how did we get there and. Um, because now it's even, to Shelley's point, it's just as important as it's ever been sure. for pipeline issues. So it was a it was legislation that passed in 1998, and that was the first year I started with FICPA. And the bill they actually had worked on the bill the year prior, and it didn't pass. And it was titled the Minority Scholarship Fund. And so basically, it said it allowed the Board of Accountancy to take a portion of CPA license fees, and typically it's somewhere between eight and ten dollars uh, to put into a fund. And minority scholarships, the definition of minority was in statute, so very easy. Didn't know why it was so controversial, but in '98 we got it done. Fast forward, um, we had a very, very big champion in uh, Representative Clay Ford, who uh, passed away, but was hugely supportive on this issue. And so the, the scholarship was named after him, ultimately. And what happened was you had the, you had the money being put aside and the, the Board of Accountancy awarding scholarships once a year. Well, you're a college student, you've got two semesters, sometimes three in the summer, and what was happening is if a student, for some reason, that was awarded didn't take the funds, then those funds just sat there. The spending authority was only 100,000. So there were two things that got changed. One, move it up to 200,000 in case the money, you know, in case there was money, and also have the awards happen twice a year. And the idea behind that was if for some reason, you know, you didn't get enough applications to get rid of that 200,000 at the time, you had another again bite at the apple apple in a different semester. We didn't see much of you know people turning the money back in or, or or declining it, but it happened if they moved to another school or went to you know somewhere else or just said nah, you know thanks but no thanks. Mm -hmm. So this is to make sure that this money gets spent every single year, fully funded and fully spent. And I think over the last few years, what's been even more important is really a concerted effort between uh, the Board of Accountancy and the FICPA and, and Shelley to your relationship with now the former Secretary Julie yes. Brown and the new Secretary, uh, Secretary Griffin, but that is to try to combine uh, the awareness for your scholarship, your mm -hmm. educational foundation, and the Clay Ford Scholarship to be able to say, listen, if you're an accounting student, you don't know about this for your fourth and your fifth year, there's a significant amount of funds there that you can actually apply for. Completely agree. And, and I was just thinking the same thing. So many of our members may or may not be aware that both the Clay Ford Scholarship Fund even exists and that we have our own 501c3 foundation at FICPA, our scholarship foundation, that gives out hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in scholarship funding uh, to fourth and fifth year students. And so what an amazing opportunity to support uh, the future of the profession and, and ensure that they stay with us and that money is not an obstacle or a barrier to get them in uh, to our little world here in, in CPA universe. Yeah, I think it's important to note that the application process is currently open and yes. uh, we talked to the Board of Accountancy uh, this past week to make sure that they're ready for applications. That uh, deadline for applications is going to be June 1st, so you're going to see us pushing to get that word out a lot. As, as Jennifer said and 
I know you've talked to the new secretary at DVPR. We're going to be working very hard to kind of collaborate on how we get this message out, highlight those students, uh, because it's, it's really important. And, you know, we want to get the word out so we can get more students involved in the program. Absolutely. And, and let legislators know as well. It's a great message for them to take back to the district and be yeah. able to share with folks. Definitely. And again, we don't want finances or financial um, inabilities to be a barrier. Sure. There. So how can we help and provide those great scholarship funds? Um, so I know that the focus of today's conversation, because we are in Tallahassee and it's the last day of uh, Tallahassee and, and the state of Florida session, we're focused on Florida-specific issues. But I did just want to give Justin a quick moment to touch on some of the work that we've been working on on the federal level, given that our tax practitioners are, are deep into uh, tax season right now. We know that the IRS service issues have been um, extremely prevalent and on everyone's mind. We have made some progress and some headway with partnerships, um, with our partnership, excuse me, with AICPA and our fellow state CPA societies. Give us a quick update of where we are there, Justin. That's right, Shelley. In addition to all the work we've done at the state level, we've been pushing at the federal level for some more tax relief. Now, we've seen the IRS grant some relief in stopping some of those automatic uh, notices that have been going out and they've, we've slowly been getting more information and, and again they're trying to get more staff on hand to help work through the backlog so we're seeing some progress but this week we reached out to Senator Scott and Rubio to try to ask them to push the IRS to tell, tell us what other things that they can do or what other notices they can suspend to help alleviate some of this concern from practitioners across the country and especially here in Florida and that this is an ongoing effort both at the, the the state society level and at the AICPA level to kind of continue to push for this tax relief really anywhere we can right so for decades I would say the IRS has been underfunded there's always an issue but it's just really co compounded here during the COVID uh, process and we thought we'd be out of it by now doesn't seem to be getting any better and we don't need to have another tax season after this one that's just as bad. So the more we can push as a profession and the more we can reach out to our friends at the national level, uh, we're, we're hopeful we're going to see some, uh, some good results. Now I will say our members can look for more of these updates and our advocacy update that yes. we're going to be sending out. You should have it by the time you get this video, it should already be in your email inbox. And then we're going to have some more information on our news, our FICPA newsletter next week. So stay tuned. Outside of this legislative session, we're going to still be pushing for the tax, tax relief. Absolutely. And working so closely with our national partners and, as you said, the other state societies. This is an ongoing issue and one that we know is top of mind for so many of our members across the state. And just on a personal level, um, if we have any members that have uh, some of these stories that showcase the, the problems that these service issues are creating, I would just like to encourage, as I'm sure you would, have them email us. We'll make sure that we get those in the hands of the folks at the federal level. You just never know sometimes certain stories of impact or the testimonials of the outputs of what's been going on can make a huge difference. So I encourage our members to continue to send those our way, as I'm sure you do as well. Well, Justin and Jennifer, thank you guys both so much. I know it has been a really busy and impactful last 60 days here during legislative session. Um, I hope that we will be able to uh, wrap up on Monday and that everybody will be able to take a, a little bit of a deep breath as we continue to fight some of these issues at the, the federal level. But this concludes our edition of CEO Conversations for today. Look for an upcoming webinar with Justin and our advocacy team with a more in-depth recap 
of the legislative session that will count for CPE credit. Thank you again to all of our volunteer committee members that worked with us this legislative session, and thank you to all of our members for your continued support of the FICPA. I look forward to seeing all of you in the months ahead. Be safe and be well. Thanks.